Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Thanks so much for joining us on this Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We're brought to you today by Quip Electric Toothbrushes. Get Quip.com slash martini is where you need to go to get that good deal. Jim, we had two good martinis yesterday. Today we've got none, so I guess it all averages out. And uh, we're not going to talk about the Royals today, but I know a lot of people are very upset that the person who is sixth in line to the throne uh, might not be a full-time prince anymore. And uh, other people thought he probably should have told his grandma. But either way, we're going to move on with actual real political stories today. How are you? You know, always tell your grandmother. Just a good blanket policy. At the very least, keep her in the loop, particularly when she's queen. (laughs) Helpful, helpful. Not been a good uh, end of last year, beginning of this year for Queen Elizabeth. But uh, anyway, let's talk about American politics. We rebelled against them, last I heard. So uh, let's talk about the U.S. Senate a little bit. In fact, our, our first two martinis deal with the U.S. Senate today. Really, all three of them. Uh, it's it's an election year, 2020. Uh, Republicans have to defend a lot of seats this time. They were on offense for most of 2018, expanded their majority to 53 47 And, uh, Jim, uh, Democrats think if they can get a perfect storm, they might be able to win back the majority in the Senate. They've got their eyes on North Carolina. They've got their eyes on the McSally seat in Arizona. They've got their eyes on uh, Colorado. Uh, They might need to win a a few more, though, because Alabama is likely to head back into the Republican column and possibly Michigan or maybe one other. One that you don't think is usually a battleground state for the U.S. Senate is Kansas. But according to Roll Call, Republicans there are getting a bit worried about that because Pat Roberts is retiring. He's in his 80s now, not running for re-election. And so it's an open seat. Should still definitely lean Republican, right? Well, we got a problem there because uh, the likely nominee at this point is Chris Kobach. The former secretary of state of Kansas lost the race for governor in 2018. And uh, with Mike Pompeo now saying officially he's not running for Senate in Kansas, that puts Kobach right now as the front runner. There are two other candidates, at least in this race. One is Congressman Roger Marshall, representing the 1st District. That's the big district out west in the state that Tim Hills Camp used to represent. And there's also State Senate President Susan Waggle. And the way Roll Call writes this is that the, the Democrats will have a credible candidate if Kobach's the nominee. So if it's either Marshall or Waggle, the Republicans will probably win easily. But right now, Kobach's likely to be the nominee. So, uh, Jim, how worried should we be about Kansas in the U.S. Senate race? You know, I really don't want to be in the situation where I'm quoting Thomas Frank and saying, what's the matter with Kansas? <laughs> um, this is, you know, a, a traditionally Republican-leaning state. You may remember Bob Dole being there from lots of years. Usually it sends Republicans to the Senate, but you do have a little more uh, variance in the governor's race. People may remember Kathleen Sebelius, the former Human Health and Human Services Secretary under President Obama, was the governor of Kansas before stepping into that job. That having been said, look, this is a state where Republicans usually outnumber Democrats two to one. If you lose in 2018, I don't, you know, the only hope you have is that, well, Trump's probably going to carry the state. He's probably going to carry the state pretty comfortably. So that should carry him over the hump in November, but you don't want to go into the cycle hoping for the best. And the other thought is, this is Kansas, right? There are two things they grow out there, wheat and conservative Republicans, (laughs) except when it comes to agricultural spending. All of a sudden, then farm bills, then they're hunky-dory. You know, um, know, nominating nominating Quebec would be this giant unforced error. Um, 
you kind of left with this scratching your head and saying, you know, what, you know, one of the ways you minimize your losses, you maximize your gains is you don't do stupid things. You don't create headaches. You don't nominate the Roy Moores of the world, right? When somebody knows they're a controversial figure and you, you know, um, and they're going to repel a whole bunch of people who might ordinarily stay on the sidelines or might be tempted to vote Republican, don't nominate those people. You could lose in Alabama. You could lose in Kansas. Pick the safe choice if you, if you need to. Um, and it's just absolutely baffling that they could possibly be doing this. Some of this is on Kobach for not having the good sense to realize that he'd be putting the, the seat at risk. But I guess he's one of those guys who just feels the need to run for office every two years. The fact that he lost last cycle uh, should be a giant glaring red flashing light to every Kansas Republican out there. Dear Kansas Republicans, please unify around somebody who's, you know, who has a chance of winning this, who's not going to uh, put this, you know, which should be a very safe seat at risk. So the party can allocate its resources in places where it really needs it, like Cory Gardner in Colorado and Tom Tillis in uh, North Carolina and, and Collins up in Maine. This would be such a self-inflicted wound if uh, Kansas Republicans go down this path. I don't know a ton about the other candidates here, Jim. I do know that Roger Marshall, like I said, uh, defeated Tim Hulescamp in a GOP primary a couple cycles back. Uh, Hulescamp uh, was not exactly the favorite uh, Republican of John Boehner or Paul Ryan, ultimately, uh, liked to buck the uh, the leadership. So Roger Marshall is definitely more in the moderate wing of the Re- Republican Party. I don't know anything about uh, Susan Waggle, so I don't know what kind of a, uh, a senator she would be. But um, if, if, in fact, conservatives are leaning towards Kobach, it, it might be because Marshall's more of a moderate, and we'll see uh, where the other candidates line up here. But, uh, yeah, when you look at the 2018 results, you got to be a little bit worried to have Kansas in the toss-up column. That, that's not where it belongs. Although it was uh, even six years ago, uh, remember when Pat Roberts was running, it got uh, got pretty tight there because they had a third-party candidate, but he ended up squeaking it out. Yeah, let's also point out that when he lost, I'm looking back and seeing the coverage, Chris Kobach said that it just wasn't God's will. Probably true, but I'd also point out that it also wasn't the will of the voters. And that's what you have to worry about. He also said he had, you know, he hadn't wasn't able to raise enough money. Greg, how expensive a state is Kansas? I'm sure it's pricey, but nothing, nothing close to California. New York California. You don't have tons <laughs> of high cost media markets. If you lost in Kansas because you couldn't raise enough money, you are not ready for the big time. In the meantime, if you're a voter in Kansas and you want a different taste in your mouth, you can get a better taste in your mouth with Quip Electric toothbrushes. The one single discovery that matters most for your dental care is simply that if you have good habits, you're going to be in good shape when it comes to your oral health. And that means some very simple things that you need to do routinely. That means brushing for two minutes, twice a day, flossing regularly, regardless of what brand you use. And Quip makes all of that simple. The brushing, the flossing, everything, starting with an electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and it's anti-cavity toothpaste. Quip's electric brush has sensitive sonic vibrations with a built-in timer and 30-second pulses to guide a full and even clean. The Quip floss dispenser comes with pre-marked string to help you use just enough, not too much, not too little. Plus, Quip delivers fresh brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills to your door every three months with free shipping, so your routine will always be just right. You can join more than 3 million healthy mouths and get Quip today, starting at just $25. Jim uses Quip. There's Quips everywhere in my house. I've talked a lot about how my wife stole the one that was meant for me. Uh, Then we ordered them for the kids. They absolutely look forward to brushing their teeth now. They think it's exciting. They like the pulses that tell them to switch sides. They never forget to brush their teeth now. They don't even have to be reminded anymore. And it's great to know that as they're having fun, 
they're getting a good cleaning as well. So if you go to getquip.com slash martini right now, you'll get your first refill pack of brushes free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash martini. That's spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash martini. Quip is the good habits company. All right, Jim, let's uh, talk about another aspect of the United States Senate. This one involves a sitting U.S. senator. His name is Mike Lee. Uh, he's from Utah. He's one of our favorites. He's a rocked rib uh, conservative on virtually every issue. Uh, we talked about him in the year-end awards for his fabulous speech ridiculing the Green New Deal and talking about getting across Alaska with tauntauns in the winter if air travel is banned under such a ridiculous uh, piece of legislation. Yesterday, he wasn't in quite such a joking mood. Yesterday, lawmakers were in the Capitol Hill skiff, and they were briefed by Secretary of State Pompeo, uh, Defense Secretary Esper, and Gina Haspel, director of the CIA, about the Iran situation and what led to the strike that killed uh, General Soleimani uh, in Baghdad uh, last week. So uh, Mike Lee came out of the briefing not satisfied with what he heard at all. Uh, Here's an extended clip of his, I guess you could call it a rant there in Capitol Hill on Wednesday. They're appearing before a coordinate branch of government, a coordinate branch of government responsible for their funding, for their confirmation, for any approval of any military action they might undertake. And they had to leave after 75 minutes while they're in in the process of telling us that we need to be good little boys and girls and run along and, and not debate this in public. I, I, I find that absolutely insane. I, 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 I think it's unacceptable. And so I, I, I don't know what they had in mind. I went in there hoping to get more specifics as far as the factual, legal, moral, moral justification for what they did. Um, I, I'm still undecided on that issue, in part because we never got to the details. Every time we got close, they'd say, well... Um, We can't discuss that here because it's really sensitive. We're in a skiff. We're in a secure underground bunker where all electronic devices have to be checked at the door. And they still refuse to tell us. I I find that really upsetting. Jim, this is a crazy martini, and I think it's crazy on two different fronts. Number one, while he may have paraphrased there, uh, the fact that these uh, leaders at state and defense and the CIA actually asked senators not to debate a serious issue publicly is absolutely crazy. But at the same time, Mike Lee, and that's not in this clip, but he's going to go along with Rand Paul now and side with Democrats in uh, tightening the screws on the War Powers Act and uh, try to limit uh, what the president can do in terms of uh, time is of the essence military strikes here. And it's still not going to pass the Senate, so it's not actually going to happen. But I also think that is a, a clear overreaction to the fact that he got a lousy briefing. So where do you come down here? Yeah, I, first of all, my, I've been sympathetic to this argument because the War Powers Act was supposed to straighten out what seems like kind of almost an inherent contradiction in our constitutional system of government. Only Congress can declare war, we are reminded over and over again. But the president is commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Things are going to happen in this world where you're going to either have a threat or a target of opportunity or or things move very quickly. You know, the the events and threats to the United States and its forces overseas and our allies and our citizens overseas, all that can move a lot faster than Congress, as you may have noticed. Congress moves about as fast as a kidney stone. There will be a lot of circumstances in which the president and the armed forces have to take action and they don't have time to go to Congress and say, OK, guys, debate what we should do in this particular situation. So the War Powers Act was supposed to straighten this out. It basically gave the president the freedom to do about 60 days. But then within that time, you've got to notify Congress within 30 days um, and you're going to need some sort of further authorization from Congress. 
Um, I think it's also very safe to say that the authorization of military force against Al-Qaeda in 2001 and then 2002 against Iraq, um, they've kind of been stretched by silly putt. It's safe to say, yes, at some point we should have updated this. At some point we should have returned to this issue. But the reason we haven't is because Congress doesn't really want to do that. Because once Congress does that, then they're on the hook for some responsibility of this. You have to say to the executive branch, you are allowed to use military force in these places and in these circumstances, and you are not allowed to use military force in those places and those circumstances. And Everybody in Congress is afraid of saying, no, you can't do that. And then, of course, ignoring a threat and Americans die because of that. So the gripe that, you know, I don't mind them taking a second shot at this. I think it's very safe to say the War Powers Act. It's on the books, but everybody pretty much ignores it. Um, but as for the, the broader question of Mike Lee's reaction, Mike Lee is not um, somebody who flies off the handle a great deal. Uh, you know, he can be very funny, he can be very charming. I, no doubt uh, on a whole bunch of issues we line up with him and, and, and are thinking. I, I don't think Mike Lee goes into this as a knee-jerk critic of the administration. Uh, votes with the administration about 74% of the time. If Mike Lee is complaining that this is the worst briefing he's had in nine years, I think it's safe to say something went wrong. Now, we don't know what the briefing was. It's, it's a lot of the stuff is classified. We're not allowed to hear about it. But my suspicion is that Mike Lee is a pretty good litmus test. If he's dissatisfied, it probably wasn't good enough. Now, when they said about certain folks have to leave, look, it's not that surprising that the CIA director or secretary of defense or other high-ranking officials might have something they have to deal with in a, in a, uh, a rapidly changing, dangerous situation in the Middle East. But you'd like to think that somebody, some deputy, some high-ranking official, the briefers, could at least stick around and do their best to answer the questions from lawmakers. I think it's safe to say something was not up to snuff in this briefing. Um, and, it, you know, for, for all of these sorts of things, if you're an administration and you at least try to do outreach to, to Congress, if you at least try to say, OK, this, we, can't, we can't tell you right, you know, right before the military strike that's going to happen, but right afterwards, we're going to do our best to give you as much information as possible look, nine times out of 10, you're at least going to get everybody in your own party to, to sign on to this. Maybe not Rand Paul, but we know Rand Paul marches to the beat of his own drama. Um, Rand Paul, you know, objecting to this is, is, you know, that's just another day in Washington. Mike Lee reacting like this indicates to me something went seriously wrong, and the administration really does need to try to put better effort into at least keeping the, the more like-minded members of Congress on board as it goes through uh, making decisions like this. Well, we'll find out what uh, happens on the Senate side. The House vote on the War Powers Act uh, changes is today, and I'm sure it's going to pass. Uh, I'm sure they wouldn't bring it up if it wasn't going to. I assume there's a 60-vote threshold in the Senate, and so it'll, it'll die there. Jim, let's move to our second crazy martini now. And this also deals a little bit with the Senate because uh, Nancy Pelosi still has not delivered the articles of impeachment to the Senate. And you've got uh, at least a couple of uh, Democrats over on the Senate side saying, you know, if you're going to do this, you probably ought to do it, including Joe Manchin, who uh, essentially said, I can see what you wanted to do at first. You wanted to kind of get some leverage against Mitch McConnell. He didn't go for it. Just send him over. Let's get on with it. And so uh, Adam Smith is uh, a congressman from Washington, not the uh, revolutionary era economist with the invisible hand. But uh, he is uh, the chairman of the House Armed Services Committee. And so he was on with John Berman of CNN. And uh, so they played the Joe Manchin clip. And John Berman simply asked, is it time? And uh, Adam Smith responded. Is it time, Chairman? I think it is. I mean, I understand what the speaker was trying to do, um, basically trying to use the leverage of that to work with Democratic and Republican senators to try to get a reasonable trial, a trial that would actually you know, show evidence, bring out witnesses. But at the end of the day, just like we, we control it in the House, Mitch McConnell controls it in the Senate. 
Um, I don't. I think it was perfectly um, advisable for the speaker to try to leverage that to get a better deal. At this point, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. And yes, I, I think it is time to send um, the impeachment to the Senate and let Mitch McConnell be responsible uh, for the fairness of the trial. He ultimately is. That was not well received in the speaker's office because a very short time later, Adam Smith tweets out this. I misspoke this morning. I do believe we should do everything we can to force the Senate to have a fair trial. If the Speaker believes that holding on to the articles for a longer time will help force a fair trial in the Senate, then I wholeheartedly support that decision. So, uh, Jim, I saw one person in response to that saying, apparently Speaker Pelosi walked into his office and said, if you want to see your family again, you'll tweet this out. So, uh <laughs> We don't see how tough she can be behind the scenes, but what do you make of the fact that she made uh, one of her most prestigious chairmen doing a 180 here? You know, Greg, in circumstances like this, when a high-profile member kind of goes off the reservation or offers a kind of implied criticism of the speaker, it's not that unusual for the speaker to communicate a, a rebuke in one form or another. And my understanding is that Nancy Pelosi just sent him a note tied around a brick. <laughs> thrown through the window of his bedroom. Um, <laughs> and it's signed, we can get you. Um, <laughs> pretty clear what happened here. You know, he also may have woken up with a horse's head in his bed. Two fascinating aspects here. The first is, I, I was debating with some other folks on Twitter earlier today. Nancy Pelosi's on the cover of Time Magazine in this very heroic pose. And, you know, Nancy's big gamble and all that kind of stuff. Look, three weeks have gone by since the House impeached the president. You look at the polling on impeachment, nothing has changed. The polling is exactly where it was. This is not garnering public pressure on Mitch McConnell to allow more witnesses or anything like that. This has not worked for them. You saw a couple of senators, not just Manchin, but also the Dianne Feinsteins of the world coming out yesterday saying, you know what, send it on over. This isn't going anywhere. Let's get this over with. And uh, that's, you know, that that was pretty interesting. You knew that the patience of Senate Democrats was not going to last forever, um, they recognize that right now it's kind of going around in circles. This idea that you know the plan is that someday Mitch McConnell is just going to break, uh, that, that he's just going to feel so much pressure that he needs to hold an impeachment trial that he will say, okay, let's let, I, you, I give up Pelosi. You get the witnesses you want. This works out hunky-dory. Uh, so far, three weeks have gone by. There's no indication of this. I, I think the impeachment has largely fallen out of the news cycle between the, the you know, upcoming Democratic primaries, the Soleimani strike, other stuff like that. Um, I, I, you know, I think she's, I think she's, she's uh, marched into a box canyon here, and I think there's nothing she can do other than pass them over eventually. You, uh, I, plus, the other thing is, she made comments earlier today saying that she'll send them over when she's ready. Uh, you know, I can't imagine she's genuinely thinking of going with this plan of holding them indefinitely, and that there never is a Senate trial of President Trump. Many folks would point out, well, look, impeachment occurs when you send over the articles. Technically, Trump has not been impeached yet. Uh, I'm sure people will love those semantic arguments in the coming down the road. Um, it's just kind of baffling uh, to see where uh, uh, where this is. She's absolutely convinced that it's working out really well. And clearly she can still enforce discipline on her side. I think what a lot of House Democrats must be wondering, it kind of comes through in the, the, the initial comments from Adam Smith, what are we getting out of this? <laughs> what, what, what's, the, what's our next step? What's our plan other than to just hope the public opinion changes? There's no indication that's happening. So um, sorry to hear that, Adam Smith. I hope your, your body is intact and you haven't had your, you know, arm, your shoulder taken out of the socket by the arm twisting or what it was. But uh, Nancy Pelosi's got a plan and she's sticking to it. Uh, we'll, we'll see if this actually changes anything. And my strong suspicion is that it isn't. I just love the phrase, I misspoke this morning. It's not like he uh, mangled, <laughs> mangled a word or used one word and he meant another. He had an entire 
paragraph of uh, explaining why it was time to send them over. Uh, instead of just saying, I had a conversation with the speaker, I now see where she's coming from. Uh, let's continue on this track uh, for the foreseeable future. But no, I misspoke. That's just classic. The only thing I would ju- jump on there is just say that, uh, you know, my, if Adam Smith, first of all, you would have figured he might have checked in with her before he made a comment like that. He presumed, look, there had been coverage since the beginning of the week saying that Nancy Pelosi is going to send them over soon. And soon was generally being interpreted in these news articles as this week. Well, based on the press conference today, and today is Thursday, right, Greg? It is. I know one of our recurring jokes is I don't know what day it is. um, (laughs) So probably it's not happening this week. (laughs) And so the coverage that was coming out earlier in the week was probably wrong. (laughs) There are people, and now you get to the interesting question of, are there senior Democratic sources who think that she should release them sooner rather than later? and who are leaking that she's going to release them sooner rather than later in an attempt to create public pressure to get her to release the, uh, the article sooner rather than later. Based on her statement today, she did say soon, but she gave no specification of what soon was. So that could mean next week, the week after that. You know, I mean, ideally, she waits till right before the uh, Iowa caucuses, Greg. Keep all those senators uh, in town for the longest uh, period of time when the uh, the voting really matters in those first four states. And then uh, on to Super Tuesday, just a couple of days after South Carolina. So, uh Jim, tomorrow actually is Friday, so you can take a deep sigh of relief, and I'm sure it's going to be a very uh, quiet uh, lead into the weekend because ABC News just uh, reported that the U.S. is uh, confident that it's highly likely Iran shot down the Ukrainian airliner. So uh, buckle up, everyone. Yeah, I, I'm going to have a corner post on this shortly. The two thoughts that come out of that is, that, Greg, you realize this means the Iranians killed more Iranians than Americans in their response? By a bunch. They, they didn't kill any Americans, but they managed to kill a whole bunch of innocent civilians in their, above their own capital. Um, and then the second thing is between this and their shoot down of the Malaysian jetliner over Ukraine, if you're a foreign country and you brought a, there, there should be a recall on Russian air defense systems sold in the last decade or so, because apparently they can't tell the difference between incoming foreign fighter jets and passenger jets. Jim, see you Friday. See you Friday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget to visit our friends over at Quip. Getquip.com slash martini for the discount on that first refill. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a great review over at iTunes. And join us Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch.